The following podcast was produced by the Veterans Upward Bound on the Ozarks Technical Community College campus in Springville, Missouri. Squad, attention! Right, feet, forward, hunt, left, right, left, right, right, right! As a veteran who went to college, I know that we can often find ourselves feeling like we don't belong. One shot, one kill. Hey, Jeff, you got You're listening to Veteran Voices. Veteran Voices. Veteran Voices. Welcome back to another episode of Veteran Voices Podcast. It's Friday, March 20th, and I'm your host, Alex Simpson. If this is your first time listening, the Veteran Voices Podcast is a bi-weekly podcast put on by the Springfield, Missouri Veterans Upward Bound. VUB is a federally funded program that is free to qualifying veterans. VUB's focus is helping veterans navigate the world of post-secondary education. Through this podcast, it is the VUB's hope that we can help provide you, the listener, with information about the program and the resources needed to help you begin your academic journey and ultimately become successful. On this week's podcast, we'll be diving into the VUB's academic side. Now, we don't have a special guest lined up this week because you'll be learning more about the academics coordinator, me. That's right, I'm about to do a deep dive into what I do as one of the coordinators at VUB, other than to bring you this podcast, that is. So, let's get into it. My job at the VUB is the Adult Education Coordinator. So, what does that mean? Well, I handle the academic side of VUB. It's my job to oversee our academic lab, supervise tutors, and plan out and set up academic activities for our participants. First, let's talk about the academic lab. Our academic lab is a place for our veteran participants to come and work on their classwork in a veteran-friendly environment. As a veteran who went to college, I know that we can often find ourselves feeling like we don't belong. We can find it hard to relate to others who have not been through those same experiences that we have. With the VUB Academic Lab, you'll be working next to and conversing with other veterans. Regardless of the particular branch, the shared experiences that we all have can make more of a connection than necessarily those with standard students. This space, the Academic Lab, is for you to work on your academic progress. Our lab has 10 available computers, plenty of desk space to work on, free printing for participants, and free coffee to boot. Sounds great, right? With that in mind, we do have to put out a reminder that the space is not a hangout spot. There are other areas around the college and the city that are designated hangouts. Second, the academic lab has tutoring available to participants. The tutoring we provide is primarily in support of general education courses such as math and English, but we also support students in a lot of other subjects. However, as VUB is primarily a program that's meant to help veteran students get a foothold in school and not meant to follow them through their entire academic career, the tutoring we provide falls in the areas of general education. Right now, we have two tutors whose primary tutoring skills focus on math and one who focuses on English and communication. Those tutoring schedules are available online at our website, which can be found in the show notes. The third thing that I oversee is the incorporation of academic activities. The biggest of these activities are the four-week refresher courses that happen in fall and spring and during our once-a-year summer academy. 
These free courses are meant to refresh math and English skills so that a veteran will be more successful when it comes to completing those general education requirements. Let's be honest, if you're a veteran, it's probably been a while since you attended high school. This can be a real issue as these skills tend to fade with time if you're not using them. Let us help you with that. In addition to the refresher courses, we have the Summer Academy, which I mentioned before, which is a smorgasbord of refresher courses and various workshops meant to engage you mentally and to train your brain to start thinking again academically. We also do things like teach you necessary computer skills, stress management classes, how to stay organized, science concepts that you should be aware of in our modern age, and even how to speak a foreign language. These workshops are free and voluntary, so you just shouldn't feel pressured to come to them, but we've had some really good participation, especially with one of our more creative workshops such as our painting courses that was put on by a local veteran. Those were very successful last year. Additionally, we host a creative writing workshop that helps students with creating imaginative works that can be submitted to our Veteran Voices Literary Magazine. We'll be doing another one of these magazines in the fall, and we're currently taking submissions. Myself, as the host of this creative writing workshop, I'd like to take a few minutes to read to you some of my work which was submitted to the Veteran Voices Literary Magazine so you can get a feel for my skills with creative writing. The story I'd like to share with you is called Survivor. Every night, she has the same dream. She's alone in a dark place, scared and feeling the most helpless she's ever been. Then the zombies come. She awakens in a pool of her own sweat, just as the first foul mouth sinks its rotting teeth into her neck. The nightly dreams are never really a cause for concern for her. In the past, she had an accident that left her hospitalized and fighting for her life. Some trauma should be expected, the doctor assured her, a nonchalant tone in his voice as he signed the release papers. It was highly recommended that she seek out special counseling for post-traumatic stress disorder, doctor's orders, as it were. But she couldn't bring herself to talk to a stranger about her feelings, let alone her bizarre, repeating dream. Instead, she spent every morning sitting on a local bench feeding the ducks that congregated on the small, self-contained pond. Feeding them calmed her nerves, better than any therapy she could bring herself to imagine. Likewise, the ducks always seemed grateful for her company, since she fed them little bits of breadcrumbs from a small plastic bag. She made sure not to overfeed them, of course, since too much bread could be hazardous to their health. She didn't want to see such innocent creatures suffer and die. Besides, there were so few ducks left anyways. It had become a crime to kill one. The few that hung around the park were all tame. There were never any new wild ones. There hadn't been any, at least in recent years. Those few ducks that grew restless and tired of the park would fly away, never to return. She wasn't absolutely certain why they never came back. In fact, you couldn't be, but she could think of a pretty good reason. They were protected in the park by the City Environmental Commission. When they left, they lost that protection. Their fate outside the city was an unpleasant thought, which she never liked to think about for long. Instead, she calmly sat on the bench feeding the ducks as the world at large passed her by. Periodically, she'd hear a stranger or two's conversation as they passed, though she dared not look at them. 
She kept her eyes firmly planted on the ducks and the ground in front of her. To even make eye contact would have been far too much for her to endure. But she could still hear their words, those she couldn't completely tune out. There she is, a passerboy's voice was heard. That's her. She's the survivor, was a typical response. What's so special about her? She looks so... ordinary. It was a typical exchange. She was just a point of conversation, nothing more. Her accident and her ensuing miraculous recovery had been the talk of the town at its beginning. At the time, there had been a 0% chance of recovery, so when she pulled through, she had become the subject of multiple doctor examinations and, later, unique science experiments that tried to uncover the reason for her unusual recovery. However, in the end, the experiments and tests were ultimately deemed fruitless, and both the doctors and scientists classified her recovery as an anomaly for moving on. The news stations, which had been fervently documenting her recovery, also eventually moved on. Most everyone moved on. Her story had moved on to become an urban legend, spoken now only in the hushed conversations of a few nosy passerbys strolling through the park. One such passerby sat down on the bench next to her. She didn't look up, but knew immediately who it was. Only one person would dare sit on the bench with her. It was Doug, her roommate, if he could so be called. Doug had been the one who found her after the accident. He had been the one who had rushed her to the hospital when it became clear that she wasn't fatally wounded. He wasn't family, as she no longer had any family, but he had sat at her bedside during her long recovery. He had stayed even when the doctors, scientists, and news crews had left. He had stayed when she had first began showing signs of her unique PTSD. He had stayed when she began to show other signs of the adverse effects of her condition. He had stayed. To be clear, Doug wasn't her lover. She didn't feel anything like that for him. In fact, she didn't feel anything like that about anyone. Sometimes she wasn't even sure she felt anything at all. But his presence brought her some mental comfort, and that was always welcome. Good morning, she said, already knowing his response. What do you mean, he said in a gruff voice, not his own. Do you wish me a good morning, or mean that it is a good morning whether I want it or not, or that you feel good this morning, or that it is a morning to be good on? All of them at once, I suppose, was her automatic reply. There was a momentary pause before they both broke out in a small fit of laughter. They had done the same routine every morning since she had started coming to the park. It was a line from one of her favorite books, The Hobbit, by J.R.R. Tolkien. She really liked Tolkien's work, especially the part about innocent people who came in contact with life-altering events that would ultimately end up changing the course of their lives forever. Recently, she'd begun to identify heavily with a creature in Tolkien's work known as Gollum. Gollum had once been a different person, but his run-in with the One Ring, which he kept for hundreds of years, had changed him into an unrecognizable form. Yet, she saw Gollum as an easily misunderstood character. He was mistaken as evil for his actions, yet they were actions that he could not control, having been thoroughly corrupted by the One Ring. The accident had corrupted her too. It had fundamentally changed her into something she didn't really recognize anymore. Once, in what felt like a past life, she had been a social butterfly. Now she was a recluse and a misunderstood spectacle of society. Doug seemed to understand her, though, and she was thankful for that. Fewer ducks today, Doug noted. Soon there may not be any more. She only nodded in acknowledgement, saying nothing in return. 
She wondered what she would do when they were all gone. Would she still sit on the bench? Would she toss breadcrumbs to an empty park? Would she have to break the very routine that had kept her feeling safe and sane for so long? Are you hungry? Doug asked. You know I am, she replied. She was always hungry. Well, when you're ready, we'll head in for breakfast. She nodded in acknowledgement, and the two of them sat in silence as she continued to feed the ducks the rest of the crumbs from her small plastic bag. She watched as the ducks interacted with each other, sometimes eating crumbs in peace, sometimes fighting over the tiny morsels. She noted that any duck that attempted to hog all of the crumbs for themselves was soon swarmed by the others and expelled to the outside of the group. It seemed that even in their tiny brains there was a cursory understanding of fairness and unabashed selfishness that would not be tolerated. The selfish duck became the outsider, an outsider like her. When the bag was finally empty, Doug helped her to her feet. He wasn't doing it out of some innate sense of gentlemanly behavior. Instead, he knew that she was often weak when she hadn't eaten in a while, and it had been a while. Her condition required a very special diet, and it often took Doug quite a while to acquire the food she needed. Worse yet, the food supply was dwindling, so the links between times she could eat would inevitably get longer. As they began slowly walking along the path back to Doug's house, she felt his hand slip into hers and hold it tight. She didn't respond to it. She didn't squeeze his hand back. She knew that he loved her, but she felt nothing for him. He knew that, of course, but it didn't bother him. She had come to the decision that if it didn't bother him, then it didn't bother her. Theirs was a companionship built of necessity and friendship. As they walked, the city's many sirens went off. Their fluctuating tones carried over the town like the last cries of a wailing ghost. It was an announcement that someone else had been taken. Another hapless soul, or souls, had been lost to the conflict, further dwindling the city's minimal population. Ever since the conflict, as it had come to be called, began, the city had been a safe haven for those looking to make a final stand. Yet it was a conflict that seemed to have no end in sight, and each passing day meant less and less resources and more and more losses. After a few long minutes, the sirens finally ended. There was really no point to continuing them. They were not a warning, but simply a farewell to those who had been lost. The park path eventually ended and they turned onto a nearly empty street. They passed by several empty houses, the residents being no longer among the living. The houses themselves were not yet in full decay, as their vacancy was too recent, but their lawns were becoming aggressively overgrown. They looked like jungles, hiding the pristine temples of long-lost civilizations. She could imagine an Indiana Jones-like character skulking about the undergrowth, machete in hand, avoiding traps and looking for long-lost relics. Halfway down the lonely street, they came to the house they stayed in. It stood out as the oddball, as its lawn was always well-kept. Doug was a bit of a stickler about appearances, perhaps even having a touch of obsessive-compulsive disorder. This caused him to spend a lot of his free time hunting down the last remaining vestiges of fuel to keep his mower going, and once or twice a week he'd spend the day outside tending to the lawn and pushing his mower around while a few solemn onlookers gawked at his audacity. He always waved at them enthusiastically with friendly greetings, despite their demeanors. She guessed it was strange, considering the state of things, yet all she knew was that she liked the smell of the freshly cut grass. 
Doug knew it too. The house itself was a simple one-story bungalow with only a couple bedrooms. Doug had selected after previous owners had turned up missing, most likely lost due to the conflict. There was no real need for a property deed. The conflict had abolished any petty desire of profit or property ownership. Who could worry about such things when humanity was struggling to survive? The only law concerning housing, if it could even be called a law, was that a house couldn't be occupied by another resident. And the reality of things was that there were too many empty houses to worry about squabbling over any single one. Furthermore, the one thing that drew most people to a house, and perhaps the only thing worth squabbling about, was if it contained a basement, or better yet, a bomb shelter. A basement or bomb shelter was a place to hide should the conflict ever fully spill over into the city. The house Doug had chosen did have a basement, though it was somewhat hidden and you wouldn't have easily guessed it had one, which is why Doug took such an interest in it. As they entered the house, the smell of cooked meat wafted into her nostrils. As it did, she was gripped by hunger and a twinge of pain, making her knees give way a bit. Doug reached forward and caught her under the shoulder, lifting her back up to him. She looked at Doug as he did so, and for a moment she didn't see him at all, at least not in the way she wanted to see him. She saw only a means to an end, the filling of a salient, primal need. She shook the thought from her mind and tried to maintain focus. She would feel better very soon, and all would be well. Doug helped her along the main hall of the house, passing by the meager living room and mostly unused dining area into the large, sturdy door near the back of the house. It was the basement door. Her breakfast was waiting down there for her. It was safer to eat breakfast in the basement, less chance of being seen. She felt herself slightly renewed, as though the thought of eating was keeping her going. The door opened with a long, creaking sound, like the type heard in a typical horror movie. The smell of cooked meat was much stronger below. With renewed strength, her body seemed to take over, pulling her down the stairs. The wooden staircase descended into the dimly lit basement, hugging the wall and ending in a small L-shape at the bottom. As she stopped at the end of the stairs, her hunger peaked. It was all she could do to restrain herself, to regain her senses and prepare for her breakfast, like the somewhat civilized person she pretended to be, like the civilized person she used to be. Doug had followed her down and made his way over to the basement's small secondary kitchen. The basement's kitchen was another feature that made him especially interested in the house. It was also a secure basement with zero windows and solid soundproof walls. It was the kind of place you could hide someone without anyone ever knowing they were there. Doug said he thought it had once belonged to a prepper, one of those who often paranoid individuals who prepared for the end of the world. The preppers had apparently not prepared well enough for every scenario, but had, fortunately for them, left a very secure basement. It was the kind of place that fit Doug's personality perfectly. Before the conflict, a person like Doug might have been labeled a sociopath, or more adequately, a psychopath. But now, such labels didn't matter, or at least there was too much going on to investigate or care about such things. The conflict was the perfect cover for society's oddballs to simply disappear as long as they kept quiet about it. On the stove, Doug took the cooked meat from a hot plate that he had been using to keep it warm and put it nicely on a clean plate from the kitchen's cabinets, decorating it with a little piece of garnish. That was for him. In fact, the entire plate was for him. She didn't like cooked meat, though she did enjoy the smell. It reminded her of a past she had all but forgotten. 
She made her way over the sink where she began to wash her hands. Not that it really mattered. It was just something you did. The habit was mentally comforting. She hummed cheerfully at herself as she washed. Doug picked up on her tune almost immediately and started to say it aloud. Dun, 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 he said cheerfully. It was the Imperial March from Star Wars. She often thought it was weird how little of her past she could remember before the accident, but it seemed that pop culture references were in her brain to stay. Yet, her humming was interrupted by a soft moaning from the dining table, which sat in the near center of the basement. Doug reached over, calmly shut off the water, and handed her a towel to dry off. You should eat your breakfast. I worked hard for this one. You wouldn't want it to get away. There was a smile on his face and a look of warmth that almost reminded her of a loving father figure. She nodded and turned her head towards the table. After breakfast, Doug continued, I thought we could go out to Lookout Point and watch them fight off the new waves. Sounds good, she replied. She knew he was referring to an abandoned five-story building that sat near the edge of the border wall. Ever since the zombie apocalypse had started, some people, like Doug, had found such places to watch the city's military fight off the daily swarms of zombie hordes as they tried to break through the border wall. It was entertaining to people like Doug. His psychopathic nature was satiated by the carnage of watching bullets rip through the flesh of the undead as they tried desperately to tear through the hastily constructed bricks and concrete of the town's makeshift border wall. Of course, the wall naturally didn't always stop zombies from getting into the city, and Doug had watched a number of unlucky people get ripped apart by a few rogues that made it in. The broken walls would be patched up as soon as the horde was diminished enough, but the damage was usually already done. It was from his favorite lookout point that Doug had witnessed her and her family being attacked by a group of rogue zombies. He never said it, but she knew he had watched with abated wonder, looking on through his favorite binoculars, perhaps even eating some fresh popcorn he had made. After the zombies had been engaged by the military, Doug snuck down to the site of the massacre. He hadn't planned on trying to save anyone. His curiosity about the carnage was his only real interest. He was there to see the bloody mess, as he had put it. There wasn't much left of her family, but Doug noticed that she was still alive. He had taken her to the hospital where the military kept watch as doctors and scientists endlessly poked and prodded her. They were afraid that she would turn at any second, but, to their astonishment, she never zombified. Everyone was amazed. What did it mean? Was it a possible cure? The news around town sensationalized her recovery. Yet, when nothing ever came of the tests, they labeled her an anomaly, a lucky survivor, and moved on. But not Doug. He was enthralled by her. Maybe it was his psychopathic brain. Maybe it was just luck. But he had felt that there was something else at work. Like a dog sniffing out the scent of another dog, Doug seemed to know something the rest of them did not. She had changed, even if he wasn't sure how or in what way. A few short days after she was released from the hospital, Doug's intuition paid off. Like a slow-burning candle, the virus that caused the outbreak had finally started acting in her system. However, as long as she kept eating on a regular basis, the deterioration of her mind and body was incrementally slow. Doug's psychopathic nature became the source of her salvation. He became the yin to her yang, and the two of them became nearly inseparable. She sat down at the dining table, 
In front of her, laying on his back, was a squirming mass of a middle-aged man. His eyes were fluttering as he tried to stay awake, a symptom of the heavy sedation that Doug had injected into him. The man was wearing a military uniform, and she looked up at Doug in surprise. I caught this one during one of the zombie raids, he said with a smile, taking a seat on the other side of the table. The semi-conscious man was spread out between them. Poor little fella got separated from his pack. Doug folded his napkin in a gentlemanly manner and placed it into his lap. Then he shrugged and picked up his fork, eyeing his food hungrily. As far as anyone knows, the horde got him. Containing her hunger, she looked at the man up and down. A makeshift tourniquet was wrapped around his thigh, right above the part of the leg that Doug had amputated for himself. That part was Doug's. Ever since the conflict began, he'd been able to try out the more taboo things that his mind thought up. He had recently begun to fancy himself a less gentlemanly Hannibal Lecter. As she continued to stare down at the drugged man in front of her, the hunger boiled to a point that she would not soon be able to control much longer. The sounds of the outside world began to shift out of perspective. Her eyes were narrowing down to a tunnel-like vision with only the man in view. Her mouth began to salivate. For a moment, she thought she understood what it was like to be one of the mindless ones who lived by one rule and one rule alone, the most basic rule of life, to feed the hunger. She knew that one day she would also follow this path, that one day she would not come back to her senses, no matter how much she fed. She wondered if Doug would still love her then. Would he keep her in the basement, perhaps chained to the wall? She wondered if she would attempt to feed on him, and if he would willingly let her. His morbid curiosity might just give in to such an outlandish idea. In his mind, he would then be one with her. Doug's voice cut through her feral focus. Oh, after we get back from the lookout, I thought we could watch some of the old movies I found in one of the nearby houses, he said enthusiastically, as he stuck a fork full of meat into his mouth, talking as he chewed. I think Fur was a superhero one. That would be nice, she replied with a brief smile, before the conscious world disappeared and the hunger finally took her over. Welcome back to the Veteran Voices Podcast. I hope you enjoyed that story. Survivor was my own creative work, and I hope it inspired you to write your own work and submit it to our Veteran Voices Literary Magazine. Details on how to submit work will be listed in the show notes. Last week, I mentioned that VUB is having some upcoming events. The events that I listed were all in the month of March. However, you might be aware by now of the increasing pandemic of the COVID-19 virus, otherwise known as the coronavirus. Because of the efforts to curb the spread of the coronavirus, we're working diligently with our host school to take some safety precautions to ensure the health and safety of our participants. It's for this reason that we're temporarily suspending our upcoming events through the end of March and potentially through April. This is for everyone's safety. We will update you as soon as we are able to begin hosting events again. Before I sign off, I'd like to provide you with our contact information. If you are a veteran who is interested in pursuing higher education, you can contact us at 417-447-7840.
You can also email us at vub at otc.edu, or you can even stop by our local offices located on OTC campus, Information Commons West, room 221 in Springfield, Missouri. Until next time, listener, this is Alex Simpson signing off. The preceding podcast was a production of the OTC VUB program. Veterans Upper Bound is 100% federally funded through a grant from the U.S. Department of Education at $287,510 annually. All the music in this program is royalty-free and was used with permission. 